Hey there, welcome back to the Field Trip Podcast. My name is Brent Terhune. Joining me for the first time on the show. Uh, if you're an early listener to the show, you know I'm a big horror fan. And the current episodes too. I, I'm a big horror fan, but I try not to like overdo the horror because I know some of you listeners aren't here for that. But it's a special exception. Uh, Vincent DeSanti is on the show today. Thanks for having me, Brent. Vince, do you go by Vince? What do you prefer? Uh, Vinny's good. Vin, Vinny, Vinny, cool. Yeah, just Vincent when it's in LA and I got to order a coffee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let, let's tell people who you are. I, I'm aware of you for through your your movies, Never Hike Alone and Never Hike in the Snow, which mm-hmm. are Friday the 13th fan films. But tell tell me who you are, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, where do I start? I mean, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker uh, mm-hmm. through and through. I'm a director, writer, producer. I've done almost every job there is to do in, uh, in LA, except being like an assistant or like an agent or anything like that. But mm-hmm. when it's kind of like making films, um, I've worked in development, I've worked on set, I've worked in animation, I've worked in visual effects. Um, and through the process of my career, I was probably about uh, 10 years into my career, I realized that I was making all this progress in my career and I was working my way up the, the production ladder, but I wasn't making anything of my own. I was always making other people's movies and I saw people around me just, you know, making stuff for film festivals. And I said, wait a second, like, what is this deal that you're doing this like little indie thing off to the side and sort of, you know, working on my friend's projects and then realized that I wanted to do something. And my first project um, that I was going to do was supposed to be this five minute Friday the 13th tribute called Never Hike Alone. That was I was going to post it on YouTube one Friday the 13th and say, hey, this would be fun. Um, and lo and behold, it became like a two year project. Uh, mm-hmm. me and my friends went and shot this trailer that was supposed to be like a mock trailer that turned into a, a indie, um, a Kickstarter campaign that turned into a 50 minute movie that ended up debuting at the Telluride horror show, uh, which is one of the premier, uh, genre film festivals in the country and, and in the world really. Um, and since then I've sort of been on this ride of, of, changing my entire career i've been making uh, a series of these films now we uh completed our second one which is called never hike in the snow which is actually a prequel a couple years ago mm-hmm. and in the process i've been working on live action sets a lot of live action tv documentaries while at the same time producing uh, original content mm-hmm. so we had an original short film called pathosis that was directed by my friend austin boning uh that came out a couple years ago that just did the festival circuit we got another one called judy directed by a good friend of mine renee Rivas, which will be hitting the circuit next year and lots of other things sort of in the works um you know i've got animated projects and feature films and all these things that we're working towards and the pandemic sort of like slowed everything down for a little bit now that things are starting to open back up we're starting to hit the ground running and uh we're excited to now uh be stepping into what the next chapter in our, our company's um story was which is never hike alone 2 which is the final chapter of the never hike alone series that we uh that we created yeah and i uh and to, to quick promo available available right now, or you can go to it and, and support the campaign for mm-hmm. never hike it alone or hike uh, alone too. So tell people where they could find that info. Yeah, that'll be on Indiegogo and you can find mm-hmm. us on social media. So at Womp Stomp Films, W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S. That's the company I created when I started making these things. Um, and it's worked for us ever since, since about 2016. So we're just a small uh, indie group out of Los Angeles. It's me mm-hmm. and my friends mostly. Um, and a lot of other people that we met along the way. I mean, we started as like a five, six person group. Um, <clears throat> just everybody who worked in the studio, sort of like we would escape on the weekends mm-hmm. um, and we would shoot like 
two scenes in the movie or one scene in the movie or one like, oh, we got to get him climbing this thing. So let's go do that this weekend. And it became this commitment that we all made that we literally drove out to the mountains every weekend for about a year and a half Mm -hmm. and just committed to the idea and and donated all of our time. Um, We get a lot of questions about fan films, like how do they work and how legal are they? Um, The short answer is like, yes, with stipulations. And we sort of just followed the stipulations. We raised some money. And ever since then, we've sort of been tightening the line between, um, you know, making fan films and original content. Yeah, that's so I want to I want to ask about that. And I'm I'm trying to avoid uh, the, the four questions you get every interview. But uh, I, I you were not going to remember this, but you and I met at a you were here in Indianapolis, probably mm-hmm. in Days of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you're working a table, you see hundreds of people a day, but we walked or I walked past you and you had the table set up for never hike alone. And I mm-hmm. didn't even see the stuff there, but I saw that you were wearing a, a an it follows shirt from the movie. It follows. And I oh, was yeah. wearing my it follows shirt. Nice. So I just I like pointed you and pointed at the shirts. And then I realized it was the never hike alone table. So I was like, hey, man, I have your movie. So you were like, hold on, let me show you. So you showed me pictures or screenshots from you preparing to shoot Never Hike in the Snow. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was a really fun time where um, after Never Hike Alone, I only thought I was going to make, and again, I thought I was going to make a five minute film. Mm -hmm. And what ended up happening was a series of events um, that sort of like led to us becoming a bigger and better thing. Um, Mm -hmm. First, it was we shot that trailer, and then we discovered that there was an actual abandoned camp down the street. The people that we shot the the trailer at on their property, they sort of tipped us off to this place. And when we found it, we found that we actually had the run of a full fully built camp that hadn't been used since yeah. 1988 which was what like what was the camp for was it just just a camp it was uh, it was for the um it was through UCLA and i think the boys and girls club so it was a little, okay. they would they would bring inner city kids out to the mountains and they would have them at this camp but that camp shut down sometime in 1988 and got shifted over to another camp somewhere down the street that was a little bit more state of the art and be built at that time i think mm-hmm. the camp that we were at got built sometime in the 1930s or 40s mm mm-hmm. mhm so it'd been around for a while. Um, it was in this perfect condition because a lot of it was still standing. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a lot of graffiti, if none at all. Um, the, the rooms were wide open. There was a lot of furniture and we could get vehicles up there. And so we started rewriting the, the movie and sort of coming up with bigger and better ideas and going out and trying things and failing and going back out and trying them again and succeeding. Um, but the, the real hard part was like raising the money, getting everybody's time. You know, a lot of people were donating time. We were getting, we were like hiring contractors to come in and do things like that. We need things built or if we needed yeah. like a specific person on set that we didn't, couldn't get a volunteer for, we'd have to go find somebody out in the industry. And so there was a lot of that and, and a lot of stuff that I hadn't really, I'd done before at a studio, but I'd never been able to do for myself. And so it was just really sort of a, you know, you, you just start realizing that you do all these things for other people. And then when you start doing it for yourself, it becomes a little bit more rewarding that like, Oh, now we're all sort of working on something and we all have control of it and Mm -hmm. input and everybody gets to do what they want to do. We're all assistants or second tier people in our, in our world, but Mm -hmm. on set, we're the leads, we're the directors, we're the, we're the department heads. Like, so we get a chance to shine for once rather than sitting back and watching everybody else do it. Yeah. And that's what you're with volunteers and, and you're you're paying people to do jobs. That's the the two biggest asks you can is give me your time 
and give me your money, you know, like, so for mm-hmm. everybody to come together and believe in that, not for only one film, but two. So this third one, like I showed you before we started, we turned the mics on, but I have a poster of never hike alone on my wall with, you know, supporting your campaign. So like, I know people are hesitant to be like, uh, mm-hmm. if they got burned on one where they gave money and then I never got my comic book or I never got the thing, but I'm like, I, I can't vouch for you and your project more, even mm-hmm. though not knowing you that I gave you money and you sent me the shit that you said you were going to send me, you know, like, I mean, we've shipped out over 6,000 perks in the last five years. Um, yeah. and listen, USPS loses things. I've had fans contact me two years later and tell me, Hey, I never got that thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that devastates me the most. I mean, the last thing I want is anybody to walk away and not get what they wanted. Yeah. I mean, everybody should get the film. That's first up. And then when it comes to the perks, we put a lot of time into it. I remember we, you know, we had all that success with never hike alone. I was on the road and that's where I met you. And we were mm-hmm. prepped and I was preparing for like, what do I do next? And so at the time we didn't know a pandemic was coming. And I had this brilliant idea in which we have all like all a, a whole year to make these movies and I can make, I can basically just keep running campaigns to fund each piece mm-hmm. of it, to make it a really big production. And I realized I was like, what are the things I've always wanted to do on Friday the 13th? And one of them was bring Jason into the snow. And yeah. I was like, this would be great. We can do a prologue set in the snow. And then we release that. And then a couple of weeks later, we'll release the next episode, which will have like the next stages of Never Hike Alone 2. And then like, you know, we'll keep going. It'll be this really fun thing. And so we started prepping for Never Hike in the Snow, promising that that would be the first in like a four part series. Um did that, raised a record amount of money, uh, put together this really professional looking, you know, pilot episode for our series. And then the pandemic hit mm-hmm. and it hit right as we finished filming. So we got shut down for a couple of months just for the fact that I couldn't go out and do any pickups or like go out and maybe raise a little bit more money and go shoot more or do something like that. What I normally would have done. Um, we ended up doing some pickups in the summer just to like extend a couple of people pieces a little bit but for the most part everything we shot in the three weekends that we worked that was it yeah and so never hike in the snow was shot in three weekends is what you're saying yeah so it was it was basically six to seven days okay um and there was there was a lot of moving parts we were shooting the snow we were shooting through a winter storm um and, and with snow, I've done a little bit where it's like, I need these circumstances to happen now. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm just a guy that makes front facing videos, but I'm also like, oh, the snow's gone. So now I either I reshoot or I just wait till just like waiting on that stuff. Or like mm-hmm. I tried to have a fire in the background. I'm like, well, the fire's lower in this take than it was in that. T-. Like, you're like, God damn. Like sometimes you just got to go. And like for yeah. us, we, we wrote this whole snow movie and then we had a drought in California. So we had no snow mm-hmm. and it just so happened the weekend we were going up, there was a snowstorm and we lucked out. And yeah. so we shot through a snowstorm. We literally had that snow over a period of 48 hours. It, it came, it dropped, and then it melted. And we had to shoot everything. We had to shovel snow around. We had to mm-hmm. like fill in frame with snow. Um, it wasn't the ideal winter wonderland that it was the previous year in which I did all my scouting. Yeah. And so once we did snow, the pandemic hit, it slowed us down a ton. We couldn't make our other movies. Mm-hmm. All of the the backing perks and all of the things that we normally would just be able to jump right into. Um, we couldn't because we couldn't get access. To, we couldn't finish all the perks at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we got really dragged out with uh, doing all that stuff. Finally finished the movie, released it right on time. Um, you know, originally we wanted to do it in the spring, but our editor, um, 
lost his father at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was shut down for a little while, kind of came back up when we worked together to shoot for an October release. Um, not everything was quite ready for the Blu-ray. Then we had to keep working on things into that winter. And then we submitted everything and we, you know, it took us a year and longer for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, we, we held our own and we actually just ran another recent campaign called the ghost cut. Mm-hmm. And now that we're through the pandemic and everybody sort of knows what the steps are in this sort of normal of it all, um, we were able to turn the disc around in a matter of weeks. Yeah. And it was nice and easy. And the only thing that slowed me down was like my actual work. Like I just got done working on a show called Chad for TBS. Uh, mm-hmm. or I worked on the assistant director department. Um, one of the underlings, but the, um, but you know, it's when I work those shows, those are like 12, 14 hour days every day. Yeah. Uh, so you're working. And then the last thing you want to come home and do is more work. Yeah. Sometimes it's tough. I mean, so you just don't have the energy and you do have to concentrate. So once I got home from, from Chad, I was able to sort of focus, get everything done, um, you know, and shipped all those things out so we can make room for the never hike alone Two campaign, mm-hmm. which is nice. It's now it's like, I feel like this is the comfortable time to run it. We know what the set procedures are. We know we won't have to pay extra costs to, to do the mm-hmm. production now, like we would have last year. Um, and instead of doing four more episodes or three more episodes, I just decided to put it all back together as one long feature. That's what mm-hmm. it originally was anyway. It was just Never Hike Alone 2. Yeah. I sort of had the idea like, oh, I could do like a miniseries. It would be a lot of fun. And I actually wanted to present that as like a something to bigger networks to say, hey, WB, hey, HBO, hey, anybody who's got something to do with Friday the 13th, this might be something for a, a streaming platform that would work really well for you while you're working on a new feature film. Mm-hmm. But the problem was, and I don't know if people are aware of this, but the Friday the 13th franchise is in a lot of legal, like hot water. Um, yeah. They, they made a film in 2009, and then they went into a development drought for about 10 years. Um, they had 10 years to develop something before their rights had to shift back to a previous owner. Mm-hmm. And they didn't develop anything during that time. And when the rights went to go shift back to the previous owner, the original writer filed a lawsuit to gain the rights. And so instead of the, the original sort of rights holders being able to just jump in and make a new movie uh, with New Line Cinema and Warner Brothers, um, this writer, his name is Victor Miller, um, filed a lawsuit and sort of stopped all that from happening until he would get credit for sort of creating the characters and creating the story. Um, I don't want to jump into it too much. All I will say is that there is a gentleman by the name of Larry Zerner. He's an entertainment lawyer. He was in Friday the 13th part three as Shelly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the guy who gives Jason his mask. Um, if you follow him on Twitter or any social media, he does a lot of updates or like if you go back into his post, he explains everything that's happened. There are mm-hmm. interviews online with Larry Zerner, Z-E-R-N-E-R. Yeah. Um, look him up. It will explain that to you. But lo, lo and behold, Friday the 13th can't make jack shit. Yeah. So... With, fan fil- with our fan films sort of coming out in 2017 and the franchise going into a huge plummet, um, fan films have sort of taken over for the Friday the 13th franchise. There's been a lot of fan films out in the last uh, six years. I think there's probably over a dozen that have been released after Never Hike Alone, sort of using our crowdfunding formula. Um, so there's a lot out there if people want to dive into the, the genre. There's a, there's a lot of fun stuff out there. But at the forefront of it, we're kind of there. Uh, leading the way, you know, yeah. setting the example for like what these films can be, how campaigns should be run, how things should be fulfilled. And with Never Hike Alone 2, this is sort of like the final chapter of it. It's, I didn't think it was going to be a six year um, journey, but um, I'm kind of glad to be here because now I have this experience where I just wanted to make something for Friday the 13th. When I moved to Los Angeles, 
all I wanted to do was work on a Friday the 13th movie. All these, all those things I did, I was just working to make money and pay my rent. Yeah. What I really wanted was an opportunity to go and interview for a Friday the 13th movie and do anything on set, anything in the production office. I don't care. I just wanted to be on set when Jason put on the mask and do there. And instead of waiting for my opportunity, which still would have never come, I just went and made my own movie. Mm -hmm. And now I find myself in the middle of a trilogy or on the last film of the trilogy that I get to work with not only my friends, and shoot some really high level Jason stuff where I've created my own Jason. We created our own custom Jason called ghost Jason, which has his own unique mask, his own unique look. And then we get to work with franchise actors like Tom Matthews, who's coming back to play the Tommy Jarvis from Friday the 13th part six, Vinny Guastafaro, who's playing the Sheriff Rick Cologne. We had Tracy Savage come in and do a special guest appearance on our ghost cut. Uh, She's from Friday the 13th part three, Adam Marcus from Jason goes to hell, Cindy Kanai from part six. Um, Ron Sloan from part five, Deb Voorhees from part five. There's possibly more people that could be doing cameos in this, in this last one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got like a tremendous amount of support from the actual franchise people themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's the other thing that sort of that kind of sets us up for success is the fact that not only are we doing it at a level that you would recognize as, you know, an indie, an indie feature that you would catch on, you know, a Netflix or something like that, that we'll be able to deliver those kind of production values, but you're also getting the franchise lineage where you're getting that as the new screen uh, uh, quoted it, but the requel um, that we, we are able to do that. We're able to sort of write the the final chapter of um, Tommy Jarvis's story. Um, you know, it was something I got to talk to Tom McLaughlin about, uh, Friday the 13th Part 6 director, and sort of he he loves the take that I have for it and kind of got his blessing as he's sort of telling his own story and, and, and doing his things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been this crazy ride, but I feel like for someone who wanted to be a part of the franchise, I, I somehow created a new wing to it created a a new little wing to it and sort of this was this this is what the fans giving back and it was funny because i just saw uh the new scream not too long ago and as i was watching the end of the movie i'm like this feels a lot like how i feel about fan films for friday the 13th i totally relate to all of this yeah (laughs) you're like i i created the screen i get uh, it i get it uh you can give me the short answer how are you able to use jason because you know it's tied up but because I, when I was like, oh, man, it's they're using this great character, but I hope they don't get stuck with whatever copyright. I don't know what the legal terms are, but yeah, the short the shortest answer is by the grace of the rights holders. Mm-hmm. That's it. If they wanted to come in at any time and, and challenge us, they could. And we yeah. have to answer for everything. We try to skirt around it because we have our own unique Jason. Mm-hmm. We try to say Jason as little as possible. Um, we don't use any Friday the 13th music. We yeah. don't put Friday the 13th in our title. You know, our mm-hmm. films are never hike alone, never hike in the snow, but we do put in the subtitle and never hike on a Friday the 13th fan film to let yeah. people know this isn't an official property. There are certain rules you have to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, we post them on our pages and things like that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to who owns the film yeah. and how do they feel fan films either add or subtract from their brand. So on Friday the 13th, the sort of the the thinking has been and from what i've heard from sean who is the original owner and victor who we got to interview at at an event basically they see fan films as a healthy way for fans to express their fandom for friday the 13th -hmm. and they don't want to step on that since they know that they've already stepped on the actual franchise so if they went and squashed fan films i think that they know that that would they would have people at their doors like yeah And it's, and it's, it's kind of a, uh, almost a retweet. It's like keeping the property in the public eye without them having to do anything, you know, they don't have to invest a dime. 
And, mm -hmm. if, and, and at the end of the day, we're not making any profit. There's no mm -hmm. money that's left over at the end of these films. Every single dime goes into the production of the film. Mm -hmm. And then there's also uh, the perk fulfillment. So every time there's a Blu-ray or there's a shirt or there's a poster or a pin, that's something that needs to be bagged up, shipped. Mm -hmm. And if it's shipped around the world, it's $17 a package. Yeah. Every package oh, yeah. in the U.S. is between 3 and $5. And so when you have 5,000 backers, do the math. Yeah. Well, you're, you're telling a guy who, for the whole pandemic, oh, uh, man. was doing videos and selling uh, koozies. So just met the post office and standing in line for hours. But I do want to point out that Never Hike Alone and Never Hike in the Snow, are they're on YouTube right now. You For no, you just go watch them. They're free. They're free. No advertisements, no nothing. We don't put any advertising. We just, that's the ultimate goal is the fact mm -hmm. that at the end of these productions, fans come together. They come to our crowd funds. They support us. They give us upwards of a hundred thousand for this new one. We're looking at about 150, $200,000 about that. We want to raise to do mm -hmm. everything that we want to do and make it the film, the biggest it can be. Um, that's fans trusting us to go out and spend the money wisely on set on the equipment that we need on the people that we need on the, the proper locations and the insurance mm -hmm. and the permits and all those different things that we put together. Um, and on the back end, they get to be a part of it. Their name is in the film. They're in the yeah. credits. They're a part of it with us. And then that film gets released to the world for free and everybody gets to enjoy it. So it's not exclusive. It's not something we're like, Hey, if you're in a rough spot and you can't give us whatever for, to help us make it, well, you're still going to be able to watch it. And there might be a chance for you down the line to pitch in at a later date because yeah. there's different things that we can do to sort of keep it alive and, and, and keep spreading the word. Because even though as popular as we've gotten within a, a niche community, there's a lot more Friday the 13th fans out there and a lot of them who won't even give Friday the 13th fan films a chance. Yeah. Um, and then there's just general horror fans in general who like Jason, who might not want to give this a chance because they always think fan film. Oh, it's some idiot in his backyard with his dad's camera, mm -hmm. you know, filming his friends acting poorly. Um, and that was back in the day. You know, that was in the 90s and the early 2000s when we didn't have digital cinema. Now we're shooting with red cameras. We have everything, like everything we use on the sets that I work for TBS and Netflix and HBO and Apple, we have the same exact tools on our set. We just don't have as much of it. Yeah. And we don't have as much time to shoot. We don't have 70 people out there doing everything. Mm -hmm. There's between 20 to 30 of us. But with that type of budget, that's we can get a lot done. And we have in the past. And I think that like you go back and you watch any of those uh, films on YouTube. And there's actually another one called the ghost cut, which is, um, never hike in the snow, never hike alone in a music video that we did called disappear, which is Jason, um, back in like back in the day, sort of before all the events of never hike alone, it's all cut together as one feature length film at about 83 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, it's got some additional footage in there too, which is cool. And it sort of sets up the timeline of what we're building and what never hike alone does is it clips right onto the back of that film as the final chapter, mm -hmm. um, which is very fitting for that. But we, uh, we've been calling it different things. Like it's never hike alone too. It's been called never hike again. Uh, yeah. The final hike. We've done a lot of stuff like that, but um, I think at the end of the day, we're like, you know, if it's all going back together, let's just call it never hike alone too. Yeah. Tell me about ghost Jason. Why, why would, was it uh, to create a, a new iteration was to avoid all the copyright stuff or because I was watching, I watched Never Hike mm -hmm. Alone last night. And then just before we went on, rewatched the, the snow and it was like, it's, it's, you call it ghost Jason. So there's, it's not an iteration that's in a movie. What, what's, mm -hmm. what's the difference and what you, and you played Jason for at least one of them, right? 
Yeah, I, I, I double with um, another gentleman by the name of Brian Forrest, who's my stunt double. So I do mm-hmm. a lot of the acting bits with Jason and Brian does a lot of the action stuff or anytime there's a big dynamic camera movements or we're shooting in a snowstorm, I need to be behind camera. So we don't like spend an extra two hours on set because I have to keep checking every take. I can just watch it live and say, yes, that's the yep. take. Let's move on, you know, and get the day going. Um, it's really tough to kind of direct and do it at the same time. So I try not to calm my ego down and say, let yeah. someone else do it. They're professional doubling you. So mm-hmm. let them, let them take the job. So there's a little bit of like Mandalorian in there, but with, um, uh, what was the question again? I'm Ghost sorry. Jason. I, I, Tell me about oh, Ghost, Jason. Ghost Jason. That's right. Um, so Ghost Jason really came from a frustration of how I saw the design of Jason going mm-hmm. since he left the Paramount era. So my favorite Jason is part six, but like overall, like Jason parts two through eight, Love those designs. Like mm-hmm. all good. I have nothing but good things to say about most of them. I'm not a huge fan of Sackhead, but for the most part, like the designs are cool. Like, and Jason was getting really interesting in part eight, even though his face wasn't really that great at mm-hmm. the end. He had this kind of look that he was just deteriorating and deteriorating and deteriorating. So in Never Hike Alone, our timeline picks up after part eight. It's as if Jason goes to hell never happened and all that, that new line kind of oddness that they introduced to the series we sort of shuffle that off to the side and just get back down to the basics that this injured wounded jason came back to camp after the events of of um of jason takes manhattan Mm -hmm. which according to the timeline the way the films are spread out it would have been in 1998 Mm -hmm. and so our series sort of picks up a few years later in the early 2000s when jason's gone back to camp he sort of reset up a life for himself and he's pulled you know new clothing in um, put in like, and so like based on sort of the jacket look that started to develop through the new line series, yeah. I never really loved the way they designed the jackets, mm-hmm. but I didn't hate the idea of him wearing a jacket. So yeah. we started to play with some jackets and came up with one that wasn't too bulky that actually really looked like the Sears work shirt from the early movies from mm-hmm. parts three and four that he wore. Um, and just that simple design, something that matched our camp. So there was the greens and the browns and the grays, the neutral. Um, but with the mask, I sort of like was going through, I wanted to be as true to the um, continuity as possible. Uh, the mask from part six was destroyed in part seven. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what happened to the mask in part four, if that actually was the one he, he puts back on in part seven. Part seven mask is broken and it's taken away by authorities. And I think mm-hmm. the fireman picks it up at the end of that movie. Part eight, it gets melted. So we had to have a new mask. And so we sort of worked an idea into Never Hike in the Snow that is one of the police officers are searching the camp. They come across a little box that says Winter Camp 68. And there's a bunch of little hockey masks in there Mm -hmm. to say that like, well, they had equipment at camp. And at some point after the Paramount series, Jason sort of changed. He learned a lesson. It was like he'd had a big defeat with, with Manhattan. I mean, he got flushed out with toxic sewage into the Atlantic Ocean, had to swim all the way back home to Crystal Lake, whatever river he crawled, like floated down yeah. and finally make it back. I can only imagine that he is just withered and tired and broken, but he just won't die and he doesn't know what to do. So mm-hmm. Ghost Jason is sort of this version of Jason that sort of pulled himself back together and taken a new strategy in life and actually going back to his strategy from part two, which is hide, stay out of sight, don't cause trouble. Don't bring trouble because if I do, that means I'm just going to end up back on the ground or end up back in the lake or, you know, set on fire. Tommy's going to come out and get me all this stuff. If I can just stay quiet and I can stay out of the way, then I can live in peace and I can just get people off my lawn and just enjoy 
what little I can as this undead killing machine. And if people leave me alone, I'll leave them alone. And over the course of the Never Hike Alone series, we show a series of examples of times when, when people think that Jason is finally defeated. And they think that he's finally gone, that there are still certain people that go into those woods and go missing and you never hear from them ever again. How much investigation is the local police really going to do? Do they really want to know what's behind that wall? Do they really want to know what's in that camp? Or they just want to believe that if someone goes missing, that's up to them in the forest. Yeah. They made that peace with the world. We're not going to do anything. And Tommy's sort of stuck in the middle of all that because he knows that he knows Jason's still out there. He's never, he hasn't seen him. He can't prove mm-hmm. that he's out there, but he knows he's still out there. And there's evidence sort of that pops up when somebody goes missing, like the three kids from the disappear music video that just kind of disappear one day. And that's mm-hmm. sort of setting the theme for that. Um, in Never Hike in the Snow, we were setting up sort of the opposite of Never Hike Alone. We have this character of Mark Hill that is an almost Kyle McLeod, this character that witnesses and encounters Jason and starts to run and almost makes it out, gets mm-hmm. all the way to his car. And then Jason shoots him with a bow and arrow and puts an ax through his head, drags him back into the forest and he disappears. And it's the closest at that time that Jason had come to getting caught, that he had put himself in a situation that he could have put his entire existence at risk, that the cavalry would have came and that would have been it. And he didn't let him get away. And Never Hike Alone is ultimately that story. I mean, where we started was the story that changes the entire spectrum of where Friday the 13th has been, which is Jason has been hiding. Somebody comes across them and survives the night and escapes. Now everything changes for Jason because no one has escaped in 20 years. Mm -hmm. So now what is he going to do? And that's what Never Hike Alone 2 is about. Never Hike Alone 2 is about the sort of the final chapter of this, which is, you know, what happens now that we know that Jason is out there? How is everyone going to react? How is everyone going to confront that this oncoming storm has been unleashed? And whether they like it or not, it's coming for everybody. And we have all these great characters that are coming back, like, you know, Diana, Diana Hill, who's the mother of Mark Hill, who's still in Crystal Lake three months after her son's gone missing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the film picks up on the same day that uh, Kyle goes missing. So we see a little bit of Kyle. We see some new scenes that like would be like bonus footage from Never yeah. Hike Alone. Um, but we see them kind of congruently happening, almost like Back to the Future 2. And then everything collides back at the ambulance where we first saw Tommy. And Never Hike Alone 2 is all told from Tommy's perspective. We okay. want to give fans sort of like, what has Tommy been up to since the events of, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Jason, Jason lives? Um, what is his struggle? And then how does encountering Kyle McCloud change everything in his life? Mm-hmm. It's very much like the Obi-Wan Luke Skywalker story about... Obi-Wan, this old, you know, knight from the, from the Republic and the Jedi sort of living in his past life, thinking the war that he once fought is over and there's nothing he can do. And along comes Luke Skywalker with this new energy and things that may be able to turn the tide. Mm -hmm. And there's very much a a correlation in that. And then the same thing with Diana, because Diana is this mother who has lost a son, something that is very thematically true, rings true in the Friday the 13th franchise, because ultimately this entire franchise was born from a mother losing her son. This is all born from the fact that a mother grieved so hard for her child that it led her to being a psychotic person who showed back up and killed everyone who she deemed responsible, even though none of them were there when it happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and 
and somehow this curse has continued and all these different things. So I wanted to kind of weave those seams in. And I think that that's a great team. And then you have mm-hmm. the doubter. You have Rick Colon, who's this, the antagonist for our heroes who doesn't believe in ghosts, who in Friday the 13th, part six, never witnessed Jason do anything. He was locked in a jail cell while all of his comrades were getting killed. And the last thing he thought and what his boss thought was Tommy was the killer. For all these years, Rick has thought that Tommy has been duping people to think that Jason was responsible for everything that happened in the events post part five and part six Mm -hmm. and part seven and part eight. And that somehow these events always seem to coincide with Tommy somehow. He would, you'd find him at camp or you'd find him doing these different things and that Rick's true sort of nature is to find a way to pin all of these murders on Tommy so he can put Tommy away for good because of his personal rivalry that he has with him um, and how that clouds his better judgment and to think that like, well, maybe there's something else going on and maybe Tommy's telling the truth that that sort of never crosses his mind. His mm-hmm. whole thing, his whole time is like aiming this and putting it on Tommy. So when he arrests Tommy at the end of never hike in the snow and deputy Mabry goes missing, he sort of, punches the biggest hole in his own case for the fact that he knows Tommy's alibi is being yeah. with him back at that jail cell, which at the end of the day, what the, a lot of people at the end of the never hike in the snow were like, how does Tommy get arrested? How it's like, yo, he got picked up for trespassing. Yeah. They can't prove him for anything else other than mm-hmm. trespassing. So he's going to get a fine and he's going to walk, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, at the time you're thinking like, we don't have to go too deep into the story because when we get into this next chapter, there's a lot of answers that sort of show up in the first act. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like all the questions that, that fans had, we had in the next episode in the first two scenes. Yeah. And it was like, we can't, like, I can't tell the story. I can't just come online and be like, well, here's what happens because mm-hmm. I'm going to spoil it for everybody. So I've been waiting, you know, about two and a half years just to sort of tell this next chapter in the story and give everybody those answers because that was the biggest complaint from snow is we want more. Yeah. And that was the plan. Um, but we just had to, everybody, you know, government paid our heads <laughs> Yeah, pandemic. And now yeah. we're all sitting at home working on zoom. Um, that's what fans want is like, I, it's a good parallel to the Friday 13th franchise is I'm a big wrestling fan. And mm-hmm. there's so many things in wrestling where you're like, Oh, the comp the own company didn't remember that their character did this, but us fans did. Mm-hmm. That's what you and then you get disappointed because you're like, why do I why do I invest my time and remember the things when you don't remember that? And there's so much of that in the Friday the thirteenth franchise where you're like, Oh, the, it just looks different. Like I mm-hmm. I I enjoy them looking different, but I'm also like you could tell that they're like, let's just get this movie out. Nobody cares, but mm-hmm. the fans do, you know? And exactly. that's, it sounds like that's what you're like, oh, let's go repaint and make people care. I care about these. So let's put, let's care the same as a fan would, you know? Oh, exactly. And I think that, you know, it, it goes into the storytelling. And as a fan, I always felt robbed of a, a true blue conclusion mm-hmm. to the Friday the 13th franchise. I always felt like there was a story, there was a way to sort of like bring it to a close in a way that like, if we had to say goodbye to Jason, that we would be okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um and it wasn't, and I honestly feel like part six is almost like the perfect ending. And I'm mm-hmm. not saying Never Hike Alone 2 is going to do exactly what part six did. We're not putting Tommy out in the boat and doing all that stuff. Yeah. But I wanted to aim for something that felt like in a final scene, in a final battle, that when Jason is finally put down, that it has that iconic sort of moment that when, you know, Tommy buries him at the bottom of the lake and sinks him down, down to the bottom of the lake, or when, um, when Tommy hits him in the face with the machete. 
or when Chris hits him in the head with the ax or when mm-hmm. Ginny hits or hits him in the, in the shoulder with, with the thing that that final blow that makes us feel like, Oh, if Jason went down and never came back, I'll buy this. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'll buy that type of thing. And I think that we have a very poetic way that we're going to wrap this entire story up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't spoil it for anybody for who's going to make it and who's not, but it's really just sort of like everybody's story that we've started in this series Mm -hmm. they have a nice definitive ending they sort of like we can walk away from the ending and say all the ribbons are tied and maybe we'll leave a little bit of a door open Mm -hmm. um but we'll see and and fans are really just gonna have to check in to see what we're talking about but i think that there's a moment that for all the ways that i want to scare fans really at the end of the movie i sort of want this is something that's sort of emotional yeah Um, are you a godzilla fan uh i i've seen some of the movies but uh, not all of them all right. The, one of my favorite Godzilla movies, Godzilla 1984. Okay. Yeah, um, I haven't seen it. Okay. So it's The Return of Godzilla. It's a direct sequel to the original Godzilla. Um, at the end of that movie, spoiler alert, they kill Godzilla or they sort of kill Godzilla mm-hmm. or they get rid of Godzilla by dropping him in a volcano. Yeah. But like at the end of the at the end of that movie, all of the people who sort of lead to this happening know that it wasn't really Godzilla's fault for the way he was. He mm-hmm. just was being Godzilla. Yeah. Like you can't get mad at a, like at a giant Kaiju for being a giant Kaiju. It's just mm-hmm. doing what it's, what it's bred to do. Um, and it's not that like Tommy's going to turn around and be like, Oh, I feel bad for him. But it's mm-hmm. like, at the same time, you're like, we want to bring things that like when it comes time to bring the end mm-hmm. of this story that it, that there's no like it doesn't feel like every other friday the 13th where it's like well it just leads into the next one it leads into the next one that yeah. like this is a cap on it we're going to be done with it at this point this is a offshoot multiverse for people who like just want this little piece of it and let all the other fan films or new products come out or new films come out or new series come out and tell a completely different mm-hmm. story because that's the coolest thing about jason is that when you go back and look at the friday the 13th franchise there are not really any two movies that are exactly alike. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have a lot of the same elements, but like the Jason is different. The way Jason's acted is different. The directing's different. Um, locations. The, the uh, locations, yeah. you know, it's never, you know, never at the same place twice. So people might like the Pinehurst setting and the yeah. Baghead Jason, but they also might like, you know, Higgins Haven and, and Brooker Jason or Ted White Jason and the Jarvis house and like yeah. all these different things. So what it creates is I always call it this pizza with 12 different slices. Mm-hmm. Because then you got Jason X and Jason goes to hell and Freddy versus Jason and the remake, which are way different. Manhattan, that's way different. You have telekinesis in part seven, bringing mm-hmm. in other different things. John Carl Beekler's vision for that. Um, Tommy McLaughlin's vision for six. You got a, you got a, a pseudo Jason in part five. Mm-hmm. So you have all these different avenues for Friday the 13th. So anytime anybody tries to come in and say like, this is the thing that's definitive Friday, you really sort of start losing part of the argument with people yeah. because it's like what's definitive there is no definitive friday mm-hmm. you know what i mean like the only two fridays that are alike are part one and part five yeah they're both who done it so you're trying to figure out who the killer is it's the only films where you're trying to figure out who the killer is in every other film you know who the killer is jason mm-hmm. and the other two films they're sort of like failed who done it because the first one doesn't even introduce the killer until you finally reveal who it is yeah um, and then the other one's sort of like clunkily just plops this other guy in there and gives him all these devious looks it's like i don't know i always feel like as a fan i was i was like i love friday the 13th i love them for what they are but there's so many great storytelling mechanisms within these films Mm -hmm. that if they were just not kind of written and thrown away 
that there might be a little bit more cinematic value here to be like, mm-hmm. no, this wasn't just like some schlock fest murdered, you know, factory yeah. that there was actually a story in there. And then there was murder and the murder mm-hmm. was brutal. But then it went back to this thing and it made me feel something. And it was like, I wanted to go and make fans other fans feel the way I did about Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And that's why I made Never Hike Alone. Never Hike Alone is a reflection of what I always found scary in Friday. And I didn't necessarily watch the films to look at boobs. I didn't you know, watch the films to emulate drug use or any of that stuff. I watched the films because I loved being scared of Jason. Yeah. And I just wanted a film to focus on making me scared of Jason. And that mm-hmm. was that. Yeah, you can have some laughs along the way. You can have some comedic moments. But for the most part, the minute like those films dive into any of those areas from back in the 80s, it just sort of like, I don't know, maybe it's I always even though I'm a 38 year old man now, I still feel like a, like an eight year old kid being like, I hope my mom doesn't walk in when the boobs are on. <laughs> yeah. It's like, someone's, or you, you know, that's when else, she is going to walk in. Oh yeah. It's the only time she walks in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, garbage. Okay. Ah, God yeah. damn it. Um, so what's your yeah. uh, favorite Friday movie then? Part six. Six. Jason lives is the one that does it for me. And that's why I, I feel so lucky to work with Tom and Vinny um, mm-hmm. because those are, they're, they're the two of my favorite characters and I mm-hmm. want to tell their story. I now went from a fan who used to rent part six as much as I could. And, you know, laugh when he says the red dot go, you bang. And like, yeah. you know, and Tommy calling a maggot head and all this stuff it to have them now here and say like, no, we're going to tell your story. We're going to mm-hmm. grow your characters. We're going to give you arcs. Like it's really sort of surreal for me in a way. So who, uh, what is your favorite Jason uh, look from all the movies? Um, it's a combination of part six and part four. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, you know what? That's a lie. And this is why it's the combination of part six and part four. My favorite look for Jason is the nightmare sequence in part five at the opening. All of the, all of the dream Jasons from part five, that is my absolute favorite look yeah. because he's got the traditional costume on. He doesn't have the gloves. He doesn't have a utility belt, but he's undead and he's covered in mud and he's mm-hmm. decaying. And it's just like the perfect Jason. It's like one of the reasons we worked on another film called Jason Rising. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of an offshoot. It's, it's not related to Never Hike Alone. I helped my, uh, my friends Carl and, and Carl Winery and James Sweet make the film. Um, but they you're, have. And a you're very, in that too, right? You're I'm like in it. Yeah, cop. yeah. Yeah. I, yeah I was there's pretty, so many. It's hard for yeah. me to remember, but I did like that one. Yeah. So that one's a lot of fun. Uh, Pamela Voorhees comes back from the dead in that one too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's got a very much like that type of look. But the part five, there was something about that like the scene at the end of the movie of part five where Tommy wakes up in the hospital after he survived the attack from Roy and he sees Jason standing at the end of his bed mm-hmm. always used to scare me to death. Cause I thought that was going to be me when I was laying in my bed as a kid and I was going to yeah. wake up in the middle of the night and there's Jason standing over me. And was it going to be an experience like in part six where all of a sudden he disappears or was I just going to be toast? Like, yeah. Like one of the kids in t- the Halloween, the new Dead Halloween meat. movies. <laughs> Dead me. I'm going to end up on the kill count. <laughs> um, so uh, the films are so good. Have you gotten, uh, I don't know, it's created opportunities for you to work in horror further, right? Yeah. I mean, there's things that have popped up, uh, mm-hmm. different different opportunities. It's it's a long game. I mean, that's the, that's yeah. the thing. It's, you know, you do something now and it takes years for, you to work your way into the next level and get somebody Mm -hmm. to give you like for someone to sit down and actually say, okay, I'm going to give you millions of dollars to go make something professionally is a long road. And even Mm -hmm. though we've done it very successful with crowdfunding, I think there was still a lot of, I expected, you know, I could have, in my sense, they could hand me something anytime and I'd be just fine. I know Mm -hmm. how to fly the ship. Like I got, I've been through it all. I've seen it all. 
And it's just a matter of, you know, following certain, you know, work ethic and trusting in your team and, and sort of going from there and having a vision for stuff. But at the same time, it's, you know, I've just been working on scripts, uh, working on projects, helping my friends make their projects, yeah. opening myself up to different opportunities. Um, well, and you, you know, created I, them. That's the other thing is you you just went and did it, you know? Yeah. And that was sort of the thing is, is again, I found myself, you know, I made this, I made a site, I made the same mistake again in my life where after I made Never Hike Alone, I went, oh, now they'll come to me. Mm-hmm. And for a while, you know, I got to do some pitches. I got to go around um, and do some things. And I even got to pursue some Friday the 13th stuff for a little bit before the, uh, the franchise, I mean, the, the lawsuit really kind of cut things down. And then I had some momentum that I was going to do a, a, a feature film and then the mm-hmm. pandemic hit and everything sort of reset. I had to reset my life again and focus on some other things and, you know, survive through the pandemic financially and get some work and, mm-hmm. and do all that stuff. So coming out of it, one of the things I'm focusing on this year is finishing Never Hike Alone 2, but then transitioning back into some original projects that I have. Yeah. Uh, one of them called Ghost Chicken, which is an animated short film about a vegan restaurant haunted by the ghost of a chicken and the one girl determined to figure out why. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to launch that crowdfund later this year. There's another short film um, that I'm working on with a friend of mine, Jeremy Brown. It's called EMF. Mm-hmm. Um, I sort of rewrote this um, story that he has for his feature. He kind of pitched to me and said, thought about my idea about making a short for it. Um, it's about 15 pages long. And I kind of wrote it with some people in mind that I want to bring together and do something original that by the end of the year that I don't look at is like, I got to make never hike alone. Then I'm going to get my movie and then I'm going to do this. And these are all the steps Mm -hmm. I got to do. It's like, you know what, I'm going to just make my things and I'm going to be proud of the things that I make. And then when those go to the market and those go to the festivals and people see it, I will, that's my calling card. If someone mm-hmm. calls me and, and, and this thing becomes the next lights out, I will get a call. If it's not the next lights out, then I got to go make something else. Mm-hmm. That's going to be that. And I got to go make something else that proves to people I'm going to do it. But at the same time, if I keep going to crowdfunding and I still build fans through my YouTube page, I mean, we have 48,000 followers on, on my, my, my YouTube channel, mm-hmm. turning that around and saying, Hey, if you guys want to, if all 48,000 of you want to see me make something, you could literally all give me a dollar. Mm-hmm. And I could show you something. Yeah. I could go out and write something with my friends. I can go call up my friend, Kelsey Burke or Nora Hewitt, who are mm-hmm. fantastic visual effects people and build things mm-hmm. and do things. And I'm starting to see the value in that rather than trying to chase the studios to anoint me a director for some project that at the end of the day, they're going to have final cut on and they're going to mm-hmm. boss me around. So it could be shit. Me. And your name is on it. And it's hey, like, yeah. you're, you're like, yeah. and they can flush me out and, and Blumhouse yeah. can go and make another one or, you know, whoever else wants to do it. Yeah. Or do I just control my own destiny? Mm-hmm. And do I use the popularity that I've gained from, you know, this little venture, this small little hub of the world that if, if this is how I can continue to make, film for the rest of my life mm-hmm. then at least i get to make the stories that i want to make and if an opportunity comes an opportunity comes and i'll be ready for it but mm-hmm. I, I think at this time i'm going to start chasing for that approval mm-hmm. and i'm just going to go earn it yeah and i'm going to make it and walk away and be happy because you know what at the end of the day there's nothing more that i love than showing up at a film festival having something playing in one of the blocks or having a feature section but seeing my friends and seeing mm-hmm. their films and seeing what they've been up to and catching up and seeing the same people and having that camaraderie. I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever been out to a film festival or a horror movie convention where they have film festivals there as well, like a days of the day, like, you know, you went to days of the dead and horror yeah. hound probably um, just you know, little rooms. You're like, Oh, I did. I've never heard of this movie. I don't know what it's about, but I already paid. So let's go watch all these movies. Yeah. And there's a lot of talented people out there all over the country. It could be the next Sam Raimi. You never mm-hmm. know. 
You know what I mean? And, the, and there's places everywhere. And it, it's a, and it's a community that I found too late in life. It's something that I wish I would have found this community when I was uh, in college. Cause I think mm-hmm. it would have, um, I would have been a lot further along than I am now, but it came when it came and I'm happy that I'm, uh, that I'm a part of it. Yeah. A uh, few last things and we'll wrap up outside of the Friday franchise. Give me two or three uh, of your favorite horror movies. Oh, geez. I love um, Return of the Living Dead, Night mm-hmm. of the Living Dead, all the Living Deads. I mean, like, I know the Return is its own thing. I'm not saying yeah. it's the same world, but like the night through dawn, I mean, night mm-hmm. through day is great. And then the return is like its own. Oh, my God. So that's beautiful. one of my just just, you know, I at first my brother and I saw that and I was like, I didn't know it was a comedy. So I was like, man, this mm. movie is crazy. Like, And then you find out later. <laughs> You're like, there's a little person zombie. That's crazy. Like, oh my god, I love that movie. Scared the hell out of me because zombies wouldn't die. It's the yeah. movies that scare me to death that really get me. And then the, the American Werewolf in London was the other one that got mm-hmm. me. That I was just petrified. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre got me. That was the first film I ever watched that I literally jumped out of bed and ejected the tape. How old were you? Oh, I had to be eight, between eight and ten. I was that, so man, scared. That's a movie where, like, no matter your age, you're still too young to see it. Oh yeah. I was way too young to see it. And I was watching these films every week. I mean, we rented films every, like that was the whole treat was if I was good in school, mm-hmm. I could rent a film on Friday. And I just went down the horror section and picked them all up. And I heard, you know, I heard them in, in the ether, like, mm-hmm. you know, Texas Chainsaw and Phantasm and blah, blah, blah. And so I think we had those and I would rent them, but mm-hmm. I was always renting Friday the 13th. Um, the other one that really got me, although I don't really like the movie as a general, but the, the film that scared the crap out of me was pet cemetery. Yeah. The only reason that gauge Creed walks into the road and gets hit by that truck, because up until that moment in my life, I never realized that kids could die because yeah. they're always so protected in movies and stuff like that. I realized like, Oh my God, I could die too. Mm-hmm. Blew my mind. I was just like, I can't believe it. But those are, those are sort of the films that sort of shaped me. And then I watched a lot of tales from the crypt and creep show as a kid too. Yeah. Uh, biggest scares in, in movies, which is, it's not the same thing, but it is, um, the biggest scare. I mean, yeah, I guess I kind of touched it with, with Texas Chainsaw Massacre when yeah. she's pushing, what's the brother's name in the wheelchair? Franklin. Frank. Oh my God. Franklin. The most Man, you hate, you're like, this dude's in a wheelchair, but I still hate him, but not for wheelchair reasons. <laughs> not for like, wheelchair. Just cause he's, a, <laughs> oh my God. He's an asshole. Yeah. But when he gets chainsawed. And he and Leatherface starts chasing her. I, that's when I jumped up. That's when mm-hmm. I got so scared. I couldn't, I was like shaking. And mm-hmm. then um, it got me so good. And I'm trying to think of the, the other time I got really, really scared. I mean, honestly, it was, it wasn't that Jason scared me in the movies a lot. It was when mm-hmm. I was done watching Jason, I would go He's out, out there. He's out there. Mm-hmm. Cause I grew up in, in, in the forest yeah. on a lake. And so I would swim in the lake thinking that he was in the lake. I would run mm-hmm. through the forest and he's in the forest. And so a lot of the nightmares that I would have ended up in Never Hike Alone, like crawling through the brush yeah. and having him grab your ankle, trying mm-hmm. to pull you out of the brush. Like that's, I had that dream. I know that yeah. terrifies me. And I always love when people come and be like, that, that part got me. Yeah, I was yeah. like terrified. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know that was, those are my dreams. <laughs> to this day, I ha- about once a month, I have a Michael Myers dream. And it's not like you where I lived in a, of whatever Haddonfield and I just that's what scares me and it's my favorite but it's also like I wake up and oh I was running from Michael Myers you know just Mm -hmm. the stuff you love haunts you I guess sometimes um let's plug the campaign one more time and whatever else you want to plug and we'll get out of here 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, if, if you're interested, definitely check out Never Hike Alone 2 on Indiegogo. It's mm-hmm. running right now. You can definitely find links on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, we got it all out there at Womp Stomp Films, W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S. We're also on YouTube. That's a great place to get a link. We'll, we have our, um, our campaign video up there, so that'll take you there. Um, you can get lots of great things. We have lots of Blu-rays. We have Blu-rays for all of our movies that will be available, um, including pre-orders for the new movie that will be coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different tiers that people can jump into. If anybody out there is super rich and a big friday the 13th fan we got a couple big things for you in there yeah um some ep things we have to raise a lot of money with this one so um as as nice as it is to have someone who can step in we've had people come in the back and give us ten thousand dollars five thousand dollars and those are great but really where the numbers come in is when lots of people contribute a little um Mm -hmm. you know blu-rays are thirty dollars it pays for the production of the blu-ray it also pays for some of the production of the movie and the shipping um but at the end of the day if 5,000 people show up, if 7,000 people show up and everybody chips in 30 bucks, 50 bucks or hundred bucks in those ranges, it goes a long way. And mm-hmm. then those people who throw more on top of it, just sort of like the cherry on top, that allows us to do some of the extra cool things. Um, yeah. Like we were able to do a Never Hike in the Snow, which the extra money we raised in Never Hike in the Snow, we were able to do the kill at the end of the film where we blew the sheriff's head off. Uh, not yeah. the sheriff, but the, uh, the deputy's head off. That was a secondary thing that was added in later because we got more money than we thought we would have. Mm-hmm. So... Um, the other thing I would say is that even though our goal is set at sort of a lower rate, just remember that we are shooting for about one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars. So if you see us floating around seventy five or one hundred, we still have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. That's not going to make the entire movie, but we're going to make as much of it as possible. And if we only get so far, we only get so far and it becomes a chapter in the film. And we'll try and make the rest of it another time. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, you know, we're trying to go for it all right now. We think there are enough Friday the thirteenth fans out there to more than support this enough. Um, we want to rally as many as possible. If we can break that $10,000, I mean, the 10,000, 10,000 person <laughs> backing, because I know there are more than 10,000 Friday the 13th fans out there. And if they want to put the trust in us, we have Tom Matthews, Vinny mm-hmm. Guasso Far, a great group of talented filmmakers and actors and some special surprises along the way. We've already booked some special guests that are going to show up in the film. Um, you know, for everything that we've done, sort of teasing everybody, this is what it's all leading to. And mm-hmm. if everyone's believed in what we've done so far, then here's it, here it is. Like, here's where it all pays off. And this is where we can all kind of celebrate our, our mini trilogy to Friday the 13th. There's 90 free minutes on YouTube of proof of what Mm -hmm. you need. Uh, And, and if you can't give whatever, like as from a dude that's makes a living from social media type things, a share goes a long way. Oh yeah. Family Uh, and friends. Like it's the biggest thing. Even if they've backed, we always push people. Word of mouth is the strongest thing. And Never Hike Alone grew from word of mouth. It Mm -hmm. grew from 250 backers on our first campaign to 3,500 backers on our last campaign. Mm -hmm. Um, Then that's all through word of mouth. That's people passing it on to each other saying, hey, you got to check this out. Oh, I don't watch fan films. No, but you got to check this one out. Yep. Just this past Sunday, I was like, hey, man, you've seen Never Hike Alone. I was in front of a uh, Tales from the Crypt pinball machine at a show. (laughs) So it was just like, he was like, hey, you've seen this one? I'm like, yeah but have you seen this one? Mm. So yeah. Yeah. And if you go to Friday the 13th fan in, in your life and they haven't heard about this, then you need to sit them down and make them watch it and say mm-hmm. that. And then, you know, just Google us really. I mean, after that, just the, the proof is in the pudding. We've, we've put in the work um, and we're more than ready to tackle this, uh, this big, the biggest adventure that uh, we're about to go in. Yeah. Yeah, man. Vincent DeSanti. Thanks for being on the show, man. Great. It's been a pleasure, man. Thanks dude.